and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Hey, everybody. My name is Paul Trimble. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here. Just glad that you are here, part of this thing. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, like you're visiting, uh, I, and you're thinking about making this your home, uh, I hope you do. This church is a good one. It is. So a little bit about us, our next generation, our church, our children, uh, our student ministries. It, it's just so important to us, and we take it very seriously here. So make sure... Uh, to get your kids in that first service Sunday school time during that first hour and then get him them here for big church during this hour. They need both of them unless they're the little, little bitties. I think it's, mo- it's important that they get both of those things, Sunday school and big church worship, don't you? I mean, that's just, this is just singing with you guys. That's the bomb. And for you parents that have your kids thinking, well, hey, uh, what do I do uh, when my kids are in Sunday school if then I'm going to the second service? And I'd say, you got a couple of good options. One, volunteer, maybe somewhere in the generations department or on our guest services team, maybe even like in the Holy Spirit-filled team of the donuts and coffee area. Uh, we love that. And you can even audition to be part of the band, although you got to audition because some of you guys can't sing. And I'm just, and so, but the other thing is like tech with getting it out on the internet. And then hopefully we're going to be able to have some D3 groups uh, adding on soon during church. So you can go to those as well, like go to a D3 group and then to the Sunday service. So, well, a couple of other things if you're new, just trying to kind of clue you into our church. We love to worship God in song with music that you were just a part of. And man, we love to jam for Jesus. We just do. We like to make it loud and big. And th- this isn't a band trying to impress you here. No, they, that one of our core values here is extravagant worship. These guys, these girls, they are worship leaders. They are here to lead us in song. And First Chronicles chapter 25, we read about a group of uh, Levites who are gifted singers and musicians, who are worship leaders. They lead the people so that the people sing. That's the goal. It's not for you to watch them. We sing as a church family. And listen, we do it loud because that's what the Bible says. The the worship time, I know this is going to bust your bubble. It's not about you. It's not for you. I'm always super blessed by this time. But it's not our goal. Our singing and our raising our hands, clapping, physical signs of our worship to God, our singing worship through song is about making God's name big, magnifying the name of God. Singing is is just only a part of worship, though, because if singing is telling God how great he is, raising our voices and our instruments and is jamming for Jesus, it's our time now of preaching God's word and studying together that then God speaks back to us. You see how that works? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm the most important person here or any preacher. In fact, you hear me often pray in my time before we get started of, is God help me disappear behind the scripture? May may your Holy Spirit come out. My job, just to carefully remind you of what the Bible says. Sometimes I do it loud. 
the most important person here, God. He's our audience of one. Do you agree with that? Say amen if you do. Well, let's get into our time of preaching, but let's do that one other thing we do on Sundays that is critical for our prayer, is praying, getting our heart right. If you've got sins you need to confess, do that. Spend some time in prayer. Bow your head with me and let's pray. God, our Father, we just humbly come to you asking for your blessing on our time. Lord, open these words to us. Help us to understand them at a deeper level. Apply them to our heart. Holy Spirit, change us with your word. Show us how to live them out in how we believe. And as we continue in prayer, let's just take that time individually, but all of us together. We come together to worship. Pray. Don't miss this opportunity. As I pray, you can... You can agree with me and say things like uh, amen or I agree or yes or whatever, even as I pray. And, but at the same time, what, what's on your heart and mind that you need to give over to God? Is there some busyness from the week? Just can't get out of your mind or maybe this coming week. Ask God to help you focus. confess any sin that you have before God. Get a clean slate. Oh God, my prayer too is you would teach us what we don't know. I do pray I disappear, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak, not me. Correct, refine what we don't know, what we don't understand. We want to be transformed by your words. God, more than anything, we want to know you. We want that deep relationship with you. We want to go deep to grow deep. We want to see your face. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this week we continue to look at the Apostle John's account in of Jesus' life in John chapter 4, the gospel of John, this seemingly chance encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well. And we saw this conversation between the two as anything but a chance encounter, right? By the way, chance is not even a factor uh, in the providence uh, or sovereignty of God. There is no such thing as chance. There's just not. Jesus had come on this way on purpose. Jesus had come this way with his disciples as he was returning to Galilee, kind of his home base in the north around the Sea of Galilee, Galilee from Jerusalem in the south. And this conversation with this woman had started as he had asked her to give him a drink of water from the bucket that she had or this jar. He doesn't have anything to draw up water. He had sent everybody into town to buy food. He strikes up this conversation and says, could you give me a drink? Jesus had told the Samaritan woman, though, when she kind of was cold towards him, he said, look, if you knew the gift of God who was speaking to you, referring to himself, he said, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you living water. It would spring up within you, giving you life. And this conversation had ended, if you remember last week, this powerful thing with Jesus saying, well, I'm the Messiah. Now, if you missed any of the previous weeks, 
I just ask you humbly, go back and listen to those on YouTube or something, or even on a podcast, you can listen to them in your car. Remember, we touched on this at the close of our time. The point of the claim Jesus makes with the title is he says, I am. The covenant name for God. The name Jehovah. He says, I am. That was the name God had told Moses to use that to declare to the Hebrew people that God had sent him to set his people free from Egyptian slavery. And now Jesus uses that name, I am. He declares himself to be God right here. And we get further into the Gospel of John. We move, uh, we, as we see this, encounter several more instances in the Gospel of John where he uses that term, I am. Like, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light. These statements are clear declarations that he is God. This is one of the aspects of John's gospel that distinguished it from the synoptic gospels. Think about Matthew, Mark, Luke. Is he says, I am. John points that out. Now at that moment, at that moment, his disciples who had gone into town to buy food, you remember, they had left Jesus alone and they returned. And this is no coincidence right at this minute. That's where we pick it up in our story. Now, if you're able, would you stand with me out of reverence for just hearing the Word of God read aloud today? This is our main text as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of John, just verse by verse, right? Starting with verse 27 through verse 30. Then don't panic. We're going to skip down to verse 39. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up those verses in future weeks. Uh, today's passage deals with this woman's response to the revelation, her coming to Christ. And, and we'll pick up that verse 31 through 38 later on. Here it is. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Many, now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, He told me everything I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard from ourselves, we have heard ourselves, and now that this really is the Savior of the world. Praise God for his word. Amen? You may be seated. And I wish I could have been there that day. Just to see the faces. Don't you think? I mean, I get teary-eyed if I think, man, I want to see the face of Jesus. We'll see the face of Jesus. But be there at the well. I want to see my Savior's face. But I also want to see the woman's face when she's regenerated. Like she goes, wait a second. This, this is the Son of God. To realize her sins are forgiven, that she's been speaking to the Messiah. And I want to see the faces of Jesus' disciples as they return going, why is he talking to this woman? 
You know, like, and, and to see the reactions of the people that come from the village to check Jesus out, and then they believe. Let's unpack these verses. Starting with verse 27. Just then, his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Now, just a reminder, these dudes, these disciples, they're young. They're like teenagers. Maybe the oldest, Peter, is like in his early 20s. He's married, but early 20s. By the way, this is why our D3 Generations ministry is so critically important. Our student ministry, the kids and stuff. Jesus spends three years pouring into these young men. We've got to do the same. We've got to do the same. We've got to raise these, these folks up. But at this point, early in Jesus' ministry, they're all still pretty immature, right? The apostle John, the youngest, and you can tell he and the others wanted to ask, because he says, we wanted to ask, what do you want, Jesus? Like, why are you talking with this woman? Notice the Apostle John is describing a little insider mentality that Christians get sometimes. His disciples like, Jesus belongs to us, not, not to you. Like, you're not good enough. These disciples Jesus, uh, are thinking, man, we'll take care of his needs. Why are you talking to this woman? You're not supposed to talk to a woman. And we'll take care of his needs. Some outsider mentality, not a Samaritan woman. We'll take care of you. If he needs a drink, we'll get him one. You see churches do that all the time. Jesus is ours. We'll keep him right here. No one else can have him. Certainly not messed up people of the world, right? Now, we don't know for sure what the disciples heard in the conversation with Jesus and this woman. We just know they were surprised to see Jesus talking to this woman. Now, maybe they're a little jealous. We don't know. But what we do know is that they see the next verse take place. They see the actions. Look at verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, it doesn't tell us what the woman, that, that she says anything as she leaves the well. I just kind of picture her muttering a little bit. I like, I got to get to town. And, and she leaves her stuff there. It's impossible to know what she's thinking for sure, but she's, she's thinking, I've got, I've got to tell people about this. Now, what we've seen with this woman's actions is the result of the fact that she's been born again. That's what today's about. She has found faith in that, that verse where he goes, I am. She's believed that he is the Son of God. Brought from spiritual death. She's been brought from spiritual death into spiritual life. She has received the faith. She has repented. And what is the first thing she does? She goes into town, leaving her water jar there because apparently she wants to move as fast as she can. She doesn't want a big heavy pitcher on her, her uh, hip or on her head. She wants to run. Now, maybe it was that getting the water to quench her thirst. That didn't even matter now because she had met the Christ. At any rate, she wants to tell the people the truth she's found, and she wants to tell them now, not later. What we're seeing is this part of this story is this immediate indication that she has been born again. That's not real evident when she's actually born again. We don't know for sure what that is. We often say, though, the fruit of being saved points back to that time. That's how we know. Does that make sense? So some spiritual fruit that Christians develop over time 
as we're made and conformed into the image of Christ, things like being content and long-suffering and patient. But then there's some, some things that happen just right away, immediately is produced in the life of a new believer. Through these verses, we seem to see some of the first signs of this new spiritual fruit in this woman. Now, some, day, some days when I preach, I have you like write one thing down uh, or nothing. And today, well, you're going to write a book. So here we go. Take some notes here. Write this down. True joy begins to be produced in the life of a newly saved person when they come to faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to look at. True joy, because there's a fake kind of joy, begins to be produced in the life of a newly saved person when they come to faith in Christ Jesus. And how does that joy begin to be manifested in this woman's life? How is it? Well, listen how the priest Ezra, back in the Old Testament, instructs God's people about the, in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, this is the priest Ezra. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, Lord, when you see it like that, that's the covenant name for God, Yahweh there. Do you, do you get what Ezra is saying? He's saying the true source of a Christian, a a Christ follower's joy comes from knowing God, your connection with him. And that joy in knowing God is the source of our strength. Strength for what? To move forward in life, which is not always easy, is it? Our strength does not come from possessions, money, relationships, friends, Things that happen to us. Things on our bucket list. Where does our strength come from? God, right there. This is a lot going on here, so don't miss it. Remember, when we find this woman at the beginning of this conversation, do you remember? She seems bitter, mean, cold. She's prickly. Her words are sharp, cutting. She wants to be left alone, Jesus, okay? Look what happens as the joy of the Lord starts to flood in. What's the first thing that goes? Anger slips away. Anger slips away. Some of you are wrestling with anger right now. Right? Me too. I wrestle with anger. But she's a new person. In the past, she's not wanted to be around people. But what is the first thing that comes to mind for her? Other people. Here we go. Write it down. A love for other people begins to be produced in the life of the newly saved person. A love for other people begins to be produced in the life of the newly saved person. She wants to share what she has found in Jesus. She wants to give that joy away. Any fans of the great theologian, just raise your hand, uh, Garth Brooks. Raise your hand if you're a Garth Brooks fan. Like, yeah. He writes a song that I'm kind of a fan of. Um, Do you know it's called Friends in Low Places? I put a big belt buckle on today just in case. Just for that. Do you know that song? All right, let's sing it. Here we go. I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away and I'll be okay. Hey, you're not supposed to know that. Welcome to Bentry Church, by the way. Did you ever think you'd sing that at church? 
And you go, yeah, I go to Bentry. Uh, that the song is true in this sense. We all have friends in what? Low places. And this woman did too. And she wants them to find life. By the way, what's not true about the song the part that says where whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away, it doesn't. Some of you who have wrestled with alcoholism, alcohol, you know it just numbs the pain and makes things worse, doesn't it? But this woman, she's found real life. She wants to share it with the people she knows are far from God. And, and, and don't think that what she's trying to do here is be all that. You know what I mean? Like be all judgmental and like, Look, I'm a good person now, and you screwed up people need to get right with God. Get this. She's not trying to tell all the friends in low places that somehow she got to be so good that God recognized her and made her a saint. No, she screwed up, and they know it. She simply believed in Jesus and has found joy. She wants them to have joy. I heard it said like this. It's like one blind beggar. That's telling another blind beggar where to find bread. That's what the gospel is. Notice something else here. When a person meets Jesus in a real faith, their priorities immediately begin to change. When a person meets Jesus in real faith, because there's a lot of counterfeit faith out there, their priorities immediately begin to change. This is how you know it's real faith. The urgency for this woman, her focus, had been to get water and then get out of there before she sees anybody. But now, she has left the water bucket behind. She goes to town, literally, (laughs) she goes to town to tell others what she has found. Now, check this out. When a person is born again, they begin to have courage to not think of themselves first anymore. Come on. I just struck a... A nerve, didn't I? When a person is born again, they begin to have the courage, because it takes courage, to not think of themselves first anymore. Because the world tells us, hey, you look out for number one because no one else is going to do it for you. I mean, think about it. All the times you've ever been told, be true to yourself. It's like your your life, you should live it Check the boxes off on your little bucket list. Have your best possible life. You only live once. It's all about you. But that changes when people meet Jesus in real faith. Check out this verse in Isaiah 12, verse 2. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. She's not afraid anymore of what other people might think of her. She doesn't care what you say. By the way, when that begins to hit home for you individually, that's when you truly are able to share your life with others, like in your D3 group, at work. You go, hey, look, this is my life right here. Look at this next verse right here. We looked at this last week. This is verse 3. We just read verse 2. This is verse 3. Isaiah chapter 12. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. I just love that. You know this was written 750 years before the woman at the well. Okay, my point is 
that all these signs begin to show in this woman. This joy is produced, and it's producing action in her because she had been regenerated. The point at which she's regenerated is not real obvious. It's not like she prayed this prayer. We don't have that. But all the signs point back to this. So she says to the people in the town, the low places people, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be in the Messiah? By the way, I picture some of those dudes in the, you know, like, did he like use names? Like, I'm part of your story. You know, like, did he, did he know about me too? She believes Jesus is the Son of God, but she is asking them to ask themselves the question. She says, you ask this. From what it looks like, she's going public with her faith. Jesus is the Son of God. She's telling them, now this is powerful. When Christians are truly saved, one of the first things they do is to make a public confession to those around them that they now believe Jesus is the Son of God. When Christians are truly saved, one of the first things they do is to make a public confession to those around them that they now believe Jesus is the Son of God. That takes some humbleness, by the way. We call this going public with our faith or confessing our, our faith to the world. Now, why is it so important that we confess to the public world with our faith? Well, it's tied to our repentance, God saving us and bringing glory to God with our lives. Like the woman did, she went to town to tell people. They knew who she was. They knew her sin. They had been a part of her sin. But her confession of now believing in Jesus as her Savior and Lord, listen, cemented her words with her actions. Now, why is this so important with her belief? Why is it so important? Well, look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9. This is a verse you should be familiar with and maybe committed to memory. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You get what he's saying? Now look at the second half of the verse. One believes with the heart, that's the core of you, resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. It takes two, baby. A couple of huge reasons. We just looked at outward signs of what's happening on the inside of this woman at the spiritual level, how it has affected her life. Now let's look at what's happening. I mean, we looked at the outside things that happen because of the inside. Let's look at the inside of her, what's happening. When we go public with our faith, we actually see the first steps of repentance and turning from our sin, turning to Jesus in faith. You with me? Remember, repentance is a change of mind and heart. I'm going one way that leads to the great turnaround. Turning away from our sin and turning to God from, uh, from whom we've previously been, been running. Thank God for U-turns, Amen. Thank God for U-turns. The very first thing believers do when they're given faith and believe in Jesus is that they change their mind about Jesus. Step one of repentance and going public with your faith. Now, instead of denying him in unbelief, they recognize him for who he truly is, their only Savior and Lord, the Son of God. Now, remember last time we met, I said that our first act of repentance, that's our first act. The shorthanded way Christians have said that for two millennia is 
someone is saved. There's so much wrapped up in that word, though. The very first act of believing in is the beginning of repentance right there, a turning from sin to holiness. Now, this is the result of coming alive in Christ Jesus. You couldn't do it before because you're dead. It is a, rege- a result of being regenerated, being born again, given faith to believe in Christ Jesus. You didn't do that. It was given to you. The second big reason that we go public with our faith is because our desire to be obedient to Jesus. Listen to the sobering passage that Jesus has here. This is Matthew 10, verse 32. This is Jesus talking. He says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This doesn't match with what a lot of the world says about Jesus, does it? In other words, he came to redeem the people that believe in him and are public about it as Savior and Lord. That's how you know someone's a real believer. They confess Jesus as Lord. For those that don't believe, there exists a state of war between them and God. When Jesus came the last time, he came as this suffering servant, pictured as a lamb slain. But when he comes next time, he's coming as a conquering king. He's pictured as a lion. He's pictured as a warrior riding on a horse. I told you it was sobering, didn't I? I mean... If we're hiding from the world that we think Jesus is the Son of God, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly Christians if we're too afraid to tell people? And tied so closely to our public confession of of Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have our marching orders as Christians, our direct marching orders from Jesus himself. What I mean is Jesus really is clear that every Christian's responsibility, their duty is to share the gospel story, story with their circle of people they do life with. Now listen to what Jesus tells us after his resurrection, before he ascends back into heaven. After his resurrection from the dead, before he ascends back up into heaven with the promise to come back and take his people home. Pretty important time, right? Look what he says. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, it's all authority. Verse 19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. It's our marching orders. It's our duty given to us from the King. It's what you're to do with your life as a believer. What's interesting is that people will hear the Great Commandment then, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to me. Listen carefully. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're not willing to go public with your faith and share your, with your neighbor how they can find eternal life in Christ Jesus. Simply impossible. 
Or to say it another way, it's impossible to carry out the great commandment of love, to love God and to love others, if you're not willing to obey the great commission of sharing the gospel with the world where you live. I also think another reason uh, we have to go public is because time is just short. I mean, we don't know how long we have here. I mean, physically, we don't know how much time we have left on the planet before we as individuals die. Or when Jesus comes back and it says, it's done, the last day. That's why I say the time is short. Man, as I get older, time gets real short. Just think about this. When, when you get the opportunity to share the gospel with another person, that may be the only time they get to hear that gospel. And God has placed you in that situation. For this woman, the people that God, that she tells about Jesus, God has called them to faith as well. But the difference is that he's doing it through this woman this time. You see that? She hears it from Jesus but they hear from her. The Holy Spirit of God is in her. She is being used by God to spread the gospel message. And it's working. God is calling these people to himself. And the way he does it is through Christians that are saved. And repent of their sin and unbelief and then go public. They go, I don't care what you think about me anymore. I love you enough to tell you the truth. That right there is how the gospel is designed to spread. From one Christian to the world where they live. You can always bring them to me. I'll share the gospel with them. Bring them to church. I'll share the gospel with them. When it comes to evangelism though. Listen to me. No one can reach a village. Like a local villager. That's why the woman reached that village. Uh, it, it's, it's her people. She's part of the friends in low places. And that's why God has put you in the village where you're at, so to speak, to where you live, to reach people God has placed in your life. That's why they're there. That's why you're there. Now, we'll see this later in the chapter that many in this woman's village turn to Christ in faith. The gospel spreads fast in the midst of this Samaritan town. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why does it spread? Why do these people in this little village in Samaria believe so quickly from this woman? Now, we touched on it, uh, but make sure you grab a hold of this as it goes by. This is powerful. This will give you confidence in sharing the gospel. So listen close. Even though this woman is not exactly, well, let's just say, the paragon of virtue. <laughs> Her public testimony of who Jesus is leads many to believe. Here's why. She is just the messenger of the truth. It is the Holy Spirit of God living in her that took the gospel message and gave faith to those believing in faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Write this down. <clears throat> Our confidence in sharing the gospel comes from realizing that we are only responsible for delivering the message. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the results. Pressure's off you. You can't save nobody. Our confidence in sharing the gospel comes from realizing that we are only responsible for delivering the message. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the results. Let me just take a second here and encourage you to share the gospel message. Friends, family, co-workers, fellow students, or anyone God brings across your life. 
Here's the deal. What we're saying here at this point is that you don't have to convince someone to be saved. It's up to God to penetrate their hearts. You can't do it even if you wanted to. Only God can call someone to life, not you. Amen? Our job is to share the gospel. And sometimes that might simply be planting the seed of the gospel in someone. Another Christian waters that seed. Another one comes up and they harvest. Plant, grow, harvest. It's up to God to bring the spiritual growth. To bring salvation to someone's heart. Remember, we are monergistic, meaning that it is Christ alone through faith alone, by grace alone, that someone is saved. Listen to me. It's not Jesus plus something else that saves you ever. Amen? It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Now, something we often say, but it bears repeating. At the point of being given faith to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, or in other words, at the point we are born again or saved, we are given the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, or what we call the, the third member of the Godhead. It's another way to say it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in each and every believer. And right from the beginning, we see it, don't we? We don't see it. We see what? Him. Operating in this woman. Remember the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity? It's a Him. He is a person. Not an it. You can tell the Holy Spirit is working in believers because there is a boldness in how they begin to share their life with others. They want to disciple others. With this woman, she, re she relates her encounter with Jesus to everyone. Let me stop for just a moment. Let me point something out to you that you may not find real obvious right away, but I think it'll make sense. February 13th, that's next Sunday morning, both services, we have a time of baptism planned. What the Bible shows us in the New Testament is that when people are given faith to believe, true faith in Jesus, going public with their faith means baptism every time. Just every time. God's calling you to baptism if you are a believer. Baptism, baptism is showing the world, showing our friends, showing the people in our family. I believe in Jesus and I want you to believe in Jesus because I love you. And in a very real way, it's much like when, what this woman does is she goes back to what I picture as the bar. And she gets on the bar and she tells everybody, hey, shut up back there. I just met the Messiah. Come with me. She goes public. In baptism, what we're saying is, I stand with Jesus. It's a confession of faith in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God, is what we say. I've been saved from my sin, given the righteousness of Jesus. And, and don't miss this. Like the woman did to the people in the town. We don't try to convince them with our story. Our story is secondary. Our story is beautiful. It's cool. But the story we have doesn't have the power to save. Write this down. Our story of coming to know Christ Jesus should always point others to the ultimate story of Jesus coming to save the, the world from sin. 
our story of coming to know Christ Jesus should always point others to the ultimate story of Jesus coming to save the world from sin, the gospel. Or in other words, we should tell our story or what we call our testimony. We should of how we met Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. But don't confuse your testimony with the gospel itself. Watch what the woman does here. The people in the town most likely not only knew this woman's story, they had been part of her story. Remember, friends in low places, what the woman does well is that she doesn't make the focus about herself or her story. She just tells it. She says, come and see. Come and see the man. In other words, let me take you to him. Let me take you to where I found him. You see it here again. This is, there's an urgency of telling people, the world, there is hope. That there's forgiveness. That there's someone who can, can make sense of all the crud, all the mess this world is right now and the mess that you have made of your life. Now, we can't take people to Jesus sitting at the well. He's just not here physically. He's in heaven waiting for the command of the Father to come and take us home. What we can do is to take him to Jesus, his word. What I'm talking about is the Bible. Now, be strategic. Don't take him to like Job to start out with. Job's a great book. Don't take him to Leviticus to start out with. Take him to John. Well, you know John. Man, I'm drilling it into you. You know, John, start at chapter one, go through, show them in chapter four. Look, Jesus claims to be the son of God. And you say, look, my pastor said right there in the Greek, it says, he says, his name is I am. That's the name for God right there. The gospel of John is a good place to start. You don't have to be an expert. Just take them to Jesus. Let his words do the talking. Study it with people. Ask them what they think it means when he says, I am. I am the Messiah. I'm talking to you. Now, let's think back to John 3 for a moment. The story right before this one that John tells us. Jesus had talked to this man, Nicodemus. This Pharisee, Nicodemus. You remember? How to get into the kingdom of God. He said, you must be born again. But Nicodemus had left there still lost in his sin. He wasn't ready to give up trying to be good enough to get into heaven. Even though he knew he was missing something. Now, Nicodemus would come to know Jesus later on. But at that very first meeting, under the cover of darkness, as Nicodemus meets with Jesus, and then he leaves, he doesn't want anyone to know he's met with Jesus. That he thought he may have been the Messiah. Now, contrast that with the woman at the well. She hears the gospel message, and the opposite happens. She tells everyone, apparently, that she just met Christ and that they should come see him. No, 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 today, right now. We're going to the well right now. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how different these two were, Nicodemus and this woman. He was rich. She was poor. He was at the pinnacle of religion and politics. She was the lowest of the low. She didn't even have a name. He considered himself holy. Sinless. Oh, she knew her sin so much that she didn't want to ever see anybody. He was well known. He had tons of people that followed him. She had no one that followed her. He had tons of influence in the world's eyes. She has no influence. Do you see the difference between Nicodemus and this woman here too? And, and, 
And yet he walked out of that meeting with Jesus that night, hearing the message of life, and apparently told no one. She runs out of the meeting with Jesus to go every, tell everyone she knows that Jesus is the Messiah. She, so she, she tells everyone, come see Jesus. Look, and look what happens. Look at verse 30. They left the town and made their way to him. The other thing we see here is that she doesn't have to convince them to become Christians. She has to just point them to Jesus. Let the gospel message, let the word of life speak for itself. Now remember what we're saying is to let the Holy Spirit do the work in a person's life. You can't save them. Okay, skip down to verse 39. We'll come back in future weeks and hit these verses that we're missing here today. But this is the story. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the hate between the the Samaritans and the Hebrew people. You remember that? The popular belief of the day by Jews was that there was not a rabbi in their right mind that would ever go through Samaria at all, much less talk to any of them. Much less talk to a woman, and certainly not a woman of ill repute. But Jesus, notice he doesn't just go and talk to them. He stays with them. He teaches them. By the way, for Jesus' disciples, don't you think this had to be like a major stretching time? Like you go, we're Jews, Jesus. Remember, we don't go to Samaria. They hate us. We hate them. Jesus turned this thing upside down. We love this about Jesus, don't we? That he's willing to be among sinners. Often liberal Christians, who many are not really Christians at all, they will point out this about Jesus as well. But many times their goal is to say, well, sin really isn't bad because Jesus hung out with sinners. But don't miss the important detail that they seem to always leave out. (laughs) Jesus preached the gospel to them. He loved them, and then he called them to repent of their sin. Jesus found people in the low places. He wasn't scared to go there. But he did not leave them in the low places. He saved them. He called them to life within himself. He goes, go and sin no more. In these two more days, Jesus taught in this village of Sychar in Samaria. What was the result? Verse 41, many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard from ourse- for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. What a, what a beautiful picture of the light of God coming from Jesus to this woman, to these people. Isn't it? By the way, ever think, how did John get this story? No, it's not rocket science. I mean, probably one of two key sources. One, Jesus himself probably told them what transpired while they were at the grocery store. But second is from the woman herself, from the woman's stories that have come down about her life. She became a leader in the early church, we're told, by Christian history. Not scripture, just history. Like what happened to her? Well, apparently she would not shut up. She would just tell everybody about Jesus. We find out that God gives her a family. She had at least two sons. Apparently, she had been pretty young when this had happened. Can you imagine having five sons by maybe your mid-20s? 
I mean, five husbands by your mid-twenties. She's given two sons. She has two sisters, too, history tells us. She apparently led both of them. She even does some missionary work traveling to distant lands when she's older to tell others about Jesus. Even to Carthage on the south side of the Mediterranean, what's North Africa now. Scripture never tells us her name. Women at that point, many of them, unless you were Jewish, simply went by your husband's or your father's last name. You just didn't have a name. Scripture never tells us her name, but church history in both the Eastern tradition and Western church tradition refer to her name. You want to know what it is? It's going to freaking blow your mind. It's pronounced Fotin in the East and Fotini in the West. You don't get it yet, do you? You know how you pronounce it in English? Fountain. Fountain. Jesus said, I'm going to give you living water, and you are going to become a spring, and you are going to spew the gospel out. Life. She apparently becomes this constant source of this water of life through sharing the gospel, telling people her story, meeting Jesus, sharing the gospel. The sources that claim that she even leads Nero's daughter to Christ. Nero was so upset with this Christian movement that he sends his daughter to put an end to this woman that just wouldn't shut up. And she leads Nero's daughter to Christ. Now this is just history. This isn't the scripture. But Nero is so incensed that he has her tortured and put to death. Nero's the same one that put to death Paul and Peter as well. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Before Jesus met this woman, called her to life, the world didn't have much use for her. The people in her life only valued what they could get from her physically. The men, five husbands speak for themselves, and probably a few more on the side tells you what the men wanted from her. Well, the women, she's probably getting water for laundry, just some household labor. It's going to get some cleaning done, earn some money, I guess. And yet she not only leads hundreds of people to Jesus, maybe in her village, her story leads millions to Christ. My point is, she didn't have anything to bring to Jesus. She had nothing. And yet what, what Jesus did through her, when she surrendered her life to him, well, that's the story, isn't it? It's us as well, though. All of that any of us can bring to Jesus, listen to us, is our sin. If you want to contribute something to your salvation, you can. Well, I guess you can bring your sin. One day for Christians hearing my voice, we'll be able to hear her story again, straight from her lips, as we sit down and have a cup of coffee, because coffee is in heaven. We'll get to meet her in heaven along with the other believers that have gone on before us. In, in, in heaven, as she shares her story, maybe I'm sitting with you again, and, and I'm going, yes, She shares, shares her story that the world had left her alone and worthless. Jesus had come and given her new life, and we're just hanging on every word. Then maybe she'll turn to you 
and put her coffee down and say, Now, tell me your story. Because your story is just as important that Jesus came to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we read these words, it just, just blows us away, away to, to think that you came for this woman, that you, you loved her. That when the world was ready to throw away, Jesus, you came and you saved her and made her this woman that would just not stop sharing the gospel. God, that's our prayer. That you would make us so focused on you that we would forget about our look of how we'll look if we share some the gospel to someone at work or at school. God, give us a boldness to share our story. That we're sinful. That, that Jesus took our sin on his back and gave us his righteousness. God, make us into a church. Make Bentry into a church where we just won't shut up about the gospel. As you continue to pray, if you're a Christian, you just pray. You know what I'm talking about right now. You just pray. Pray for me. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, just look at me up here. Look at my big, pretty face. Listen, Jesus knows all the sin in your life. You're separated from God because of your sin. You're, you're quite literally at war with God because of your sin. But Jesus, the Son of God, is sent to earth. He says, listen, if you will believe in your heart that I am the Son of God, that, that God raised me from the dead, that's what that means, that I'm the Son of God, and confess it with your lips, you will be saved. You see what he's saying? He's saying your sin, even though it's, it's stacked against you, you could never pay it. He's saying, look, I'll take your sin, all of it, past, present, future sin, I'll pay for it. And the righteousness, the goodness that I have from living my life on earth, I'll give you that. So will you believe? If you think about it, every other religion has you do a whole bunch of stuff. To earn your way to get to God, not Christianity. You don't have to do anything, it's done. So if you believe right now, why don't you confess it? Say, I believe, God, you're the Son of God. And you can't just confess it here. You, the rest of your life is going to be a, a, a confession that you believe, God. The next thing you need to do next week, get Get baptized. It's an outward symbol of an inward change. The water doesn't save you. It just says, look, the old you, we're going to bury the old dead you. And we're going to raise up the new you in Christ. So you can walk in a new life. So sign up for that, that little QR code on the back of your chair. You can do that. Or call us here at the church. We'll help you walk through it. But if you believe now, you're one of us. 
you go, well, I still have all these, these desires and sins and stuff. You're forgiven of that stuff. We'll teach you. We'll, we call it discipleship. We walk with each other through the ups and downs of life and help you get to know Jesus. Just end your time of prayer like this. Just, just pray this. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me enough to send my, send your son to save me. And then end your prayer like this. I will follow you, Jesus, the rest of my days. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.